Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's Red Voices, where this week we're feeling nostalgic for past battles with Arsenal. First off of this week's episode is Ewan and Rich looking at Arsene Wenger's final visit to Old Trafford as manager of the Gunners. And second half, we'll cover our first visit to Brighton in the Premier League era. But first, Rich, how's tricks? I'm alright, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing moderately well. It's moderately acceptable weather. I've had a pretty decent weekend. And I'm excited to talk to you about beating Arsenal again, which is a fairly common theme in the modern era, to be fair. It is. It is. And you'd have been, we would have been quite disappointed if you hadn't ultimately beaten Arsenal stiffs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess there was a, there was a sense because Arsenal have got a season defining semi final in uh, Madrid against Atleti on Thursday night. You, as we, we all sort of assume they just put the stiffs out and, you know, they did rest several players. You know, there's no Ramsey, there was no Wilshire, there was no Ozil, no Lacazette. So there was a sense that Arsenal had kind of just turned up and were just hoping to kind of get a result and then, you know, hobble off with a tail between their legs and prepare for the massive Europa League semi-final, which essentially is what we did when we played this fixture last year. Didn't quite work out that way, but the end result was the same. Yeah, it was. I think you can look at this game two different ways. One is, you know, there, there has to be some degree of pleasure in beating Arsenal at the death. It's kind of the most... Arsenal have had the most Arsenal week in, in, in their history, really, haven't they? They've had the the um, Europa League semi-final that they they played against 10 men for 80 minutes, completely dominated, scored a goal, and uh, were one up against an opponent who weren't even trying to score again, and then calamitously collapsed and allowed Griezmann to score, and, and now they go, they're very strong underdogs for the for the second leg, and then come to Old Trafford and, you know, put up quite a spirited fight, given the team they had out, and then just fold at the end. That I think it quite, quite nicely bookended the last 10 years of, of Wenger at Arsenal. Mm, yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I guess it was interestingly placed, probably quite deliberately placed by Channel 5 to air that Ferguson versus Wenger documentary, which was really interesting. You know, it was very simple and easy to sort of get back into the mindset of that rivalry. It was so intense back in the 90s. You know, you think back to who United were competing against prior to Wenger's arrival at Arsenal. You know, you've got 94-95, Blackburn Rovers winning the league, but they fell away really quickly. You know, Newcastle 95-96 with that massive lead which we completely blew away and you know there was no consistent rival until Arsenal came along and then suddenly 97-98 things completely changed you know you think back to those defining games over you know the first 10 years or so of that rivalry so you know United versus Arsenal Old Trafford in that 97-98 season you know the FA Cup semi-final the following year in the treble year you know the 6-1 in 2003 I think it was and then there's the 8-2 as well obviously that gives us a rather amount of glee even though that was in the second half of this rivalry but yeah you know it, they got two wins at Old Trafford in the last decade you know one of those was 2006 I believe that was uh, Emmanuel Adebayor scoring against Thomas Kuchak if memory serves and the other yeah, one was Van Hal's first season when they beat us in the cup thanks to that guy Welbs but yeah, just this last decade has not necessarily been vintage United Arsenal in many ways, but it's still been very interesting to see how these games have panned out. You know, you think back as well to that magnificent Rashford debut in the Premier League where Arsenal were going for the title and they just could not cope with a second string United side. That was filled with kids. It was amazing. And this year in particular, you know, I mean, the game at Arsenal, the 
the intensity of that match over at the Emirates back in December was remarkable. Um, this one was, you know, it, it did have a distinctly end of season feel to it, didn't it? You know, I think United were in some ways quite sloppy, and Arsenal in some ways preyed on that. You know, Maitland Nars had a pretty useless, you sorry, useful first half. He was certainly far from useless. Mkhitaryan clearly keen to make a statement to a certain extent on his return to Old Trafford, scoring a great goal, but. You know, ultimately in that second half in particular, there was only really one team going on to win it. And I can't really remember a time where Arsenal have looked quite so flat in this fixture, to be honest. I think it sums up their their away form this year. They're now the only the only team in Europe's major leagues not to have picked up a point away from home in 2018. I mean, obviously they made a lot of changes this time. I don't think really their standard of their performance has changed much in those since the start of the year. It was a really weird game because I thought, you know, Arsenal were useful in spells, but I just felt it was because United weren't. Um, and it's really frustrating. We've had two games. We had the game against Bournemouth, which I thought was, which I really enjoyed and I thought was a really positive attacking step forward. You know, we had a lot of pace and attack, a lot of width, which we hadn't previously had. And then the, obviously the, the semi-final was also after the first 20 minutes, overwhelmingly positive. It was, a, it was a, a really impressive comeback and then to take the control of the game and win the game and you think well there's two games that we can really kick on from you had this the Arsenal game at the at the weekend which which felt very much like the West Brom game to me everything was very slow there was no real dynamism not a great deal of movement and everything was certainly for in the for sort of the first three quarters of the match was very driven down that channel in the center of the pitch where that we that we've talked about before you know Sanchez was coming inside and getting the same areas as Pogba and, and on the other side, Lingard's sort of drifted back into a largely ineffectual sort of standard of performance, and he and he again comes inside because he's not a natural winger, and the fullbacks aren't always good enough and able enough to 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 give delivery from width. And I mean, ultimately, Ashley Young did provide us with some width, particularly when Martial came on and really provided a, a different and more effective a- avenue of attack than we'd had on that side of the pitch to that point. But generally, it was just really laboured and really slow. We didn't move the ball quick enough. And we made a very, very average Arsenal side look quite competent for, for most of the game. You know, I think the, the narrative changes because because Mourinho got Martial and Fellaini on. And ultimately, I think they, those two were the were the players who essentially turned, turned the game at the end and just got us over the line. I think if we'd, if we'd come out of this with a 1-1 draw, I think it would have been almost as frustrating as the West Brom game. I don't know about that. I, I think a lot. The last twenty minutes were much, much better, and, and Martial made a huge difference, and, and Fellaini offered something very different, and ultimately the substitutions won the game. But I think t- to that point, there was a lot that was very similar. It was just a very flat performance. We didn't move the ball particularly quickly. Arsenal capitalised from a, a mistake at the back where we were just a bit, a bit lackadaisical, really, and allowed Aubameyang to steal the ball and play it to Mkhitaryan. I just thought it was a really flat performance again. Uh, I mean, I can't disagree for the most part, you know, especially that first hour. You know, there, there were certain elements that were reminiscent of that West Brom game. But I guess the real difference was that we actually took a chance when presented, you know. And whilst Arsenal had some interesting build-up play, Mkhitaryan fizz one past the post at one post at one point, I believe, if memory serves. I, yeah. I guess, again, I, I wasn't feeling that same way about the West Brom game, primarily because it didn't come after a, a truly... St- during performance yeah I mean Spurs was pretty great to be honest you know good chunks of that game were encouraging but I guess against Arsenal because all the bite has kind of been taken out of the fixture I guess I didn't necessarily expect a hell of a lot you know from West Brom you were hoping United could really kick on having played so well against City 
And for this one, I just, I guess maybe my expectations were somewhat tempered. But I mean, I'm calling Grinch on that, Rich. I don't think it was anywhere near as bad as West Brom. Certainly not the tone of that game. The goals make the difference, don't they? Yeah, I mean, there's elements of that West Brom game, surely, that came up. You know, it, it was sloppy. You know, we were not great in possession. And when we were trying to keep things flowing in attack, we just seemed to make the wrong decisions and our passing was loose. You know, we were trying. I think we were a bit more probing than we were against West Brom. But the end result was mostly, you know mild disappointment but again we went in at half time ahead which is great you know it was great reactions by Pogba and lovely cross again from Lukaku to pick out Sanchez that would have been very very interesting to see that going going I would have enjoyed that Uh, really good block by Bellerin to stop the initial shot sorry initial header from going in and get it onto the post but you know no one anywhere near Pogba Graham Souness ripped into Granite Xhaka post-match you know Xhaka's just yeah well I mean that's the normal sort of fire and brimstone that you reserve for Pogba quite frankly which is nice to see it directed somewhere else for a change well i guess it's, i guess it's because he was so enraged that that shaka actually allowed pogba to score i think that was yeah. the, that was probably the source of the rage <laughs> that's a good point oh really? he's terrible i mean shaka to be fair how i mean every time i see him play he just looks a mess he just looks like he's struggling so so deeply when it comes to playing in this team and he he, he just seems to look one dodgy little tackle away from getting sent off. Anyway, yeah, I mean, going in at halftime, 1-0, pretty good. You know, again, not a, not a remarkable performance by any stretch of the imagination, and Arsenal had, had been useful at some point. But I didn't necessarily feel that worried. But again, Arsenal started that second half with a good spring in their step, didn't they? You know, and Mkhitaryan, again, desperate to prove a point, I think. You know, that wonderful non-celebration where he put his arms up almost in, in an apologetic manner. You know, I mean, fair enough. It was very respectful. And uh, it was an interesting debate on Twitter about, you know, the fact that Mkhitaryan did it better than Danny Welbeck, who was, you know, giving it all that when he scored against us. But honestly, I couldn't be any less arsed. He was that, he was with us for 18 Uh, months. Yeah, I don't, I don't really buy into the idea that players should celebrate goals. I mean, ultimately, you can celebrate in different ways and, and a celebration doesn't have to be at the same time a slight to the, to the fans and the club that you, scoring against you can celebrate wildly but not but not offensively I think all this saying sorry is a bit ridiculous I mean one of the things about Mkhitaryan is he always he always seemed to be a a really lovely guy didn't he there's some nice pictures of him after the game chatting with all the other players and you can see that he's very well liked person and you know I suppose the music celebration to a degree came because also the match didn't really matter to them did it it didn't seem to matter a great deal to us and it mattered absolutely nothing to them I mean was, the only positive for him was his personal performance and the goal which you know, he, clearly, he was clearly motivated to, to, to do well which is fine but I think he just kind of summed up the low-key nature of the game mm, yeah it it was I mean it ended up quite enjoyable let's be quite frank you know there was a a, a somewhat of a late surge wasn't there I mean you know, we've, we've got to make mention of Lukaku's absence as well due to that injury. You know, Mourinho talking post-game saying Lukaku doesn't say take me off unless there's a big problem. So, you know, fingers crossed he'll be available for the rest of the season and potentially the FA Cup final. And on a personal level, the World Cup, you know, Belgium are really going to miss him if he's not available in Russia. But yeah, you know, you, you're right. When Fellaini and Martial came on, it did change the game. You know, I thought Rashford again struggled, but I thought, again, his movement is always going to be of great use in that in that side and especially swapping over Martial on that left flank it was really notable how much more we had a presence on that flank in particular going forward you know great play by United to set up that goal as well I think it was Martial's cross wasn't it I think Martial was several crosses but it was Martial's cross for the uh, I think for the the Fellaini header that hit the post and then 
Rashford was offside when he followed in. And I think, although it'd probably be, probably be shouted down by lots of people, but I think it was Young who crossed for the goal. That sounds correct to me. Yes, I think that's correct. But um, yeah. it was a very, very similar cross to the to the Martial one, which from which we nearly scored. How much do you think he meant that the header? Yeah. Well, he wasn't really looking, was he? I mean, he clearly just went up for the header, and you can see if you if you watch it back in slow motion, he kind of he glances off the back of his head, hits the Arsenal defender's head on the way through, and just kind of gently loops into the top corner, millimeters away from Ospina's Ospina's desperate dive. I mean, it was, <laughs> yeah. it, was it was it was a, it was a quite a fortuitous goal, I think, but but it wasn't. You know, it was a deserved goal given the given the last 20 minutes of the game, I'd say. Sure. I mean, there was an element of luck to it, definitely. But at the same time, I don't think it was necessarily undeserved. You know, a draw wouldn't have been unfair, but there was only really one team going in to win it in that last 20 minutes. Arsenal just were not that bothered. You know, you said it yourself. You know, they've got bigger fish to fry during the week and it's a nothing game for them. They're not really going to get anywhere else in the league. You know, what is it? Burnley behind them? You know, they're not going to catch Chelsea. So this is a game of very little consequence for them in any sense. So yeah, I mean, obviously it's a sting in the tail for them to lose in such manner, but they really kind of brought it on themselves. You know, this is something that we've seen often from United over the last couple of years, isn't it? You know, sort of sitting back on a result and not forcing the issue and then getting punished for it. So I guess it was nice to do the punishing for once. Yeah, I mean, we have we have kind of been doing the punishing quite a lot recently, haven't we? It's- That's a good point. Chelsea, for instance, was a result of basically Chelsea sitting back and thinking one one was good enough and then we went and won. Yeah, well, again, you know, the, the City game... Um, was the same, you know. I think they they came out at halftime thinking that it was done and they were going to run wing, rings around us, and we we came back. It made me think again. One of the or sort of the main thing that we need to improve for next season, apart from perhaps the quality in certain positions, is the fact that at the moment we don't seem to be in total control of when we turn it on, when we up our game, when the tempo increases, when we play faster football. It always seems to be quite reactive, and I think that was the case again yesterday. We really struggled to really start games. In any, in any pace. And, and again, it really took Arsenal equalising and, and some changes to up the pace again. And I think that, that there's one thing we need to do better next season is we need to start games at a pace and actually control games for longer periods than we have. I think last week's win over Spurs was, I think, probably the longest we've really controlled a game and, and had, had the other team at arm's length and really been the better side in a game for months. But again, um, that came as a result of us falling behind, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. It was, it was completely reactive. We had to come out. And you wonder how much of that is down to the mentality of the players or how much of it is down to how they're set up and how they're told to, to come out in the game. Because you can see in, in in situations where we have to, we have to force it. We clearly have the quality to force it. Uh, and we have the quality to cause anybody trouble in that situation. But for some reason, we hold it back. And sometimes we can turn it on and sometimes we can't. You know, the West Brom game, we were, there was a period, you know, we, we were in adversity, but we weren't able to, to turn it on. Most of the time recently we have done, but it just, it seems so haphazard. It seems that it's not, that there's not a cert, there's not certainty. You can see Mourinho was going batty on the time, on the sideline for, particularly after the Mkhitaryan goal, but a few times in the first half as well, because quite clearly what he, the, the tempo that he's trying to set for the team isn't being translated out into the pitch for large portions of games. And I think the reason why I, I was a little disappointed with yesterday is that we, we have still got a cup final to play. To that end, first of all, you've got players who really should be playing for their places in the final. And also, it just helps to have form and momentum and 
a system and a team that's really functioning well going into what is going to be the most important game of our season. Mm. I think just from that perspective, but you could see from the changes, I mean, it it, it's really frustrating. We, we bring Martial on and suddenly we've got wits. And we know that we need, you know, we, it was quite fun with Rashford and, and Martial against Bournemouth. And we were getting behind back fours and we just don't do that. We don't do it at all unless we make a change and bring Martial on or get Rashford wide. You know, even Ashley Young, Ashley Young always comes in on onto his right foot to cross. And he's very good at it, but it means that we're quite one-dimensional because very rarely do we go outside and get to the byline and cross in. And it's a bit of a it's a bit of a handicap as well because our best crosser is Romelu Lukaku, who really could be doing his crossing onto his own head. So you know these are these are just things that are these are just things that are frustrations and why I was just hoping for a little bit more out of out of the game on Sunday. I mean we've got mm. we've got three more games to really to pick that up again and and get some momentum going. But it's kind of sim it's kind of symbolic of our season that we've had these periods and these games where we've really looked very good for extended periods or for periods of games and then suddenly we just have another performance which is incredibly flat and we are getting results Mourinho is by and large getting results he's won he's won the majority of games lately with, with the West Brom game as the exception so we're getting results but we just need to find a way to roll over teams because we don't really do that you know City have won the league and they're still absolutely butchering whoever they play there's been no mm. discernible drop-off of tempo or anything at all. And they're relentless. You know, they go at particularly more passive teams, but they go at teams for 60, 70, 80 minutes in games. And there's no there's no let-up to the pace of it. Looking forward to next season, we've got to find a way of putting in performances which are, for large periods, quite relentless and, and dominant. And we need to be beating teams comfortably rather than always having to pull something out of the bag or, or snatch something to get a win. I mean, you know, as I say, we've got three more games before the final to kind of get some momentum going, and hopefully we, we can do that. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what sort of state Chelsea are in by the time we get to the end of the season. I mean, there's a chance, if results go their way, that they could end up knocking Liverpool out of the top four, which would be goddamn hilarious. They play at the weekend, and then they've got that game in hand. They can end up even on points, although it's going to be a bit of a tour to try and overhaul that gold difference. Liverpool just looking so flat in the league at the moment, especially in those last two games, drawing against West Brom and Stoke. I'm going to put it past them. So they've got plenty to play for, and... You know, if they're riding a bit request of a wave, having actually managed to sneak themselves into the top four, uh, considering how blindingly clear we thought it was that they weren't going to get anywhere near it, you know, it might be interesting to see what sort of team we come up against when we play them on the 19th. But yeah, quick word on uh, Arsene Wenger, who's arrived at Old Trafford and left Old Trafford with another loss to his name for what is almost certainly the last time as an Arsenal manager, if not manager of anyone. I guess he said it himself, you know, it was very easy for United to be quite friendly because he's not a threat anymore. And that's very true, you know. And in, I mean, I, I missed the sound because I was watching this in the pub with my other half and I didn't actually hear the noise being generated in the stadium. But it looked very nice and friendly, didn't it? You know, Ferguson coming out, yeah, I thought was, was quite a nice touch to present to present that vase to Wenger. And the Mourinho with a slightly, you know, <laughs> affable handshake. You know, it, it felt very civil and very nice and friendly. And I guess you only really get to that point once the rivalry is diminished to such a degree that you don't view the opposition as a threat anymore. And, you know, obviously there's an element of us in the last sort of five years or so that United aren't the team they used to be and we're not challenging for the honours that we want to be in some ways. But at the same time, we're clearly on the up, whereas Arsenal have been on a rather pronounced decline for some time. You know, yes, there's an element of United now challenging for top four in a way that Arsenal have been doing for the last 10 years, but there's still a sense that we've got 
less of a ceiling than they do and it just seems like Arsenal have been stuck in second gear for so long it's going to be really interesting to see how they manage to turn this Wenger situation around and what they do and who they bring in to manage the club next I mean there's there's no way they can botch it quite as badly as United did with Moyes surely not you know I think Wenger's I don't know Wenger's predecessor is probably just about dealing with a squad that has more quality than the one that Moyes took over from United plus whoever takes over from Wenger will surely have the benefit of not being David Moyes so there's that element to it Moyes took over a better team far better team than Wenger successor is going to take on you know it was an aging team but there was he still had some really big personalities and big talents in that team and he just made an absolute pig's ass pig's area pig's ass I I think Arsenal are well because I think because of the the size of the job so much of that squad is not fit for purpose I think because of the size of the job it would be very easy if they picked the wrong man to just make it worse Hmm. and there seems to be reports that they've got a degree of cap on the the amount they can actually offer a new manager in wages which possibly rules out really the sort of obvious big names and so they're, they're going to have to take a, a relative chance on somebody a bit more a bit more left field so I mean it'd be quite interesting but going back to Wenger with an element of hindsight I look back now and I think you know Wenger made United what they were in you know the treble season and the years after that really until sort of 2003-2004 and, and when Chelsea arrived, because you mentioned earlier the rivalries with Blackburn and with, with Newcastle, and those were good teams, but I don't think neither of them were particularly successful or got very far in, in Europe. And I think that Arsenal, that first Arsenal team, raised the bar in this country, and Fergie knew that he had to respond. And and the treble season was really a, a combination of that, the knowledge that he had to respond, some good planning and good fortune in terms of the players that had come through at United and the fact that we couldn't we couldn't ease off in any competition. The league went to the last day. The FA Cup, you know, we, we ended up playing, poss- you know, going to the semi-final and playing possibly one of the most ridiculously, ridiculously entertaining football matches you'll ever see. I mean, it's, I look back in my life and that's the game that had everything. Hmm. And in between that, we were playing... Bayern Munich three times, Barcelona twice, Inter twice, Juve twice, and I think that we were just we were just on on a, at a point where there was no easing off of the uh, we couldn't ease off in any competition, and that really drove us over the line. And that you know for that well, ultimately we we have Wenger to thank, and then Chelsea and Mourinho took over that that baton in about two thousand and five when when Wenger started to decline for whatever reason. I think you know just really got 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 caught mm. up, um, and you know Fer- Ferguson's best teams or United's best teams during his reign have always, or most successful teams have always come as a result of a challenge from another team. And Arsenal raised that bar, and then Chelsea, I think, raised it again in the mid two thousands. So looking back on Wenger now, you know it's very easy to be, to be um, patronising and pat him on the head for having a team that hasn't really done us any damage for for ten years. But he's also responsible, I think, partly responsible for a lot of the successes that we had during his first five or six years. So, mm. you know, I can understand, I can understand both people wanting to, to jeer him and people wanting to, to clap him because he, he has been a, an iconic manager and, and, and a previously very important one. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, from a, a partisan perspective, it is sad to see him go out on this note purely because you know what he's capable of. But by that same token, 
it's right that he leaves now. You know, there's a little bit of a nostalgic twang to it for sure, because you know, as you as we mentioned then, as we mentioned so often, you know, the last twenty years, some of these great United sides have been defined by their games and their battles with Arsenal. You know, you think back to Keown getting in Van Nistelrooy's face when he misses that penalty, and the following year, what was it, beating the Invincibles, and you know that the shithousery in that game was absolutely magnificent you know I don't know if I'll ever say anything like it but yeah you know it's going to be strange to see Arsenal without Wenger and I think it was really great to take a trip down memory lane with that documentary and also now to kind of finish that chapter you know and, and I think Arsenal certainly need it and I think United will simply keep continue to look forward now you know you mentioned in terms of challenges in terms of a challenge that's been chucked in United's face, City have presented one of the biggest, if not the biggest, of the entire Premier League era based on how well they played. One of them anyway, certainly. You know, I think it's going to be very interesting and difficult to overthrow them and it's going to be interesting to see how Mourinho responds to it next season. But let's leave it there for tonight. Let's catch you after Brighton, shall we? Good evening, Richard. We do have the Brighton game to talk about, but something a little bit more significant than uh, the match on Friday night to discuss first. That's uh, Sir Alex Ferguson ending up in hospital over the weekend due to a brain hemorrhage. Now, I'm slightly conscious of not getting too deeply into a discussion about what Ferguson means to both myself and yourself, purely because I think there's perhaps an element of... I don't know. I think partly because there's so many pieces and focus and articles on him at the moment, I guess it feels a little bit too obituary like and Mm, at the moment as far as we're aware you know there's definitely a sense that Ferguson's surgery went very well he's just got a long road to recovery so I'm conscious about not getting too deeply into that kind of analysis but safe to say it certainly shook us up over the weekend didn't it yeah it was was a surprise I mean struggle to think of Fergie as a 76 year old man I mean that's absolutely it's the same age as my dad who has aged quite considerably in the last few years and has started to have quite a lot of health problems himself and you just I, I guess I just didn't I was going to say I know you don't want to go sort of go too deep and meaningful but but Fergie's kind of the guy who's framed a great deal of my life and so much of my life I, I, I can relate to football events and things that happened as a result of Fergie coming to United and whatever else you know for me he's almost still that 40 whatever year old guy he was when he came to United all that you know relatively young sprightly man even though you, we saw him before he retired and so he, I, I just didn't have that mental connection between him and say my dad or someone of my dad's age and and I know before he before he retired he was starting to have a few health issues and you get the imp- you get the impression that he's lived a very good life in inverted commas I'm sure he, he's had he's had, had a lot of good wine and he's done a packed an awful lot into his retirement as well hasn't he he's been Seems to appear all around the world and at various games and speaking at universities or, or whatever or just 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 travelling. I guess it's just a, a just a reminder to us that everybody everybody ages, but hopefully it's a sign for him that he needs to be you know take care of his health. But it's not doesn't have to be anything like the end. Hopefully. No, I mean um, I think it was it might have been Daniel Taylor's piece in the Observer over the weekend that was stating that you know he still has a full time secretary for. <laughs> that he employs because he's still got so much work going on in his life you know mm. uh, he's at Old Trafford most weekends when he can be you know he's on the board he's got speaking engagements so you know I mean it, it, it's not a surprise that Ferguson has been packing his retirement with stuff to do 
And, you know, I think, again, the, the shocking element of this was that just the previous weekend, six days earlier, he was at Old Trafford presenting that award to Wenger and looked in rude health. So, mm. you know, obviously it's a bit of a shock. But by that same token, I guess it is a reminder of the man's mortality. And again, it's it's ridiculous to consider it because I think Ferguson was manager of United before I was born. So I literally knew nothing else until 2013 it's absolutely insane to me to consider you know at the time it was ridiculous to consider a new manager coming in and it still feels a little bit like we haven't fully turned the corner and moved on from Sir Alex Ferguson's influence and what he's brought to the club and his lasting influence in that sense to have this happen now it is a little bit what's the best word to describe it it's just it becomes a lot more powerful because you can still feel him in this team and in this club can't you you know in terms of what he provided the players he brought in and that lasting influence you can still see on some of these sort of last-minute winners that we've seen lately. So, you know, in that sense, and because of what he did for the club, the way he transformed United and what he brought to the club and the team, it's it's too difficult to think about him not being around, you know, even if he is a you know, an executive, you know, member of the board these days. And But regardless, you know, obviously we all hope he pulls through. And I guess that's probably the best place to leave it before we go on to a rather wonderful chat about Brian where we attempt not to completely repeat ourselves again. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't good, was it? No! Jose Jose made a lot of changes for various reasons, had one or two injuries. He made the interesting claim that he was playing certain players because they were potentially going to the World Cup and not others because they weren't, they aren't, but they kind of only fits with some of them. Yeah, don't play your best defender because he's not going to the World Cup. That makes complete sense. No. Yeah, you know, so we, what we got is essentially a team that's, you know, a bit hodgepodge. You know, a lot of players that haven't played together and he kind of threw in Marshall and Rashford again. It was almost like in, in the kind of thing that, that Mourinho does is just th- throw them all in and let them shoot themselves, basically. Um, <laughs> it, it kind of se- it, it kind of seemed like that. It's just, I'm going to chuck all these players, I'm going to make all these changes and throw all these players in and let them <clears throat> let them hang themselves. And then, obviously, afterwards when we didn't get the result we wanted or any sort of result or any sort of performance whatsoever because it was absolutely abysmal, he threw one or two under the bus. Uh, and as as usual, it's generally the young ones, even though they were no worse than anybody else, including Marcos' new contract, Rocco, and Maro and tried, please sign, try and sign a new contract for Laney. Yeah. Oh, my God. After all that guff, after all those comments last week about how United left it too late and everything and everyone's trying so hard to keep me at the club, to turn in that performance on Friday? Oh, I mean, that is the worst of looks right there. I mean, yeah. this is the thing, though. This is not a surprise from Fellaini, is it? He is just crap sometimes. This is not a revelation. Yes, he has his uses. Yes, he's had some real big influences on some games for us and scored some important goals, and I appreciate his level of effort for the most part. But on Friday, he and many others were rubbish. And to come out with all this chat about how it United, United, Manchester United have left it too late to gain my services and to turn that kind of performance and basically back up every single negative thing that fans have been saying about him for several years... Wow, not well timed yeah. whatsoever. But you're right, you know, basically Mourinho almost was looking for a bus to chuck a couple of players under in the sense that, you know, you said it after the game, didn't he? You know, he's saying, you wonder why I always play the Kaku. Well, that's why. Look, Rasha didn't necessarily do himself any favours with United's one good chance of that first half when he took the ball off the defender and didn't square it to Martial. You know, he took that extra touch, he looked up and seemingly dawdled, and you could see Mourinho was incredibly frustrated. And I 
get that to a certain degree, but by that same token, we know Rashford can do better in those situations. We know that typically he is going to be more deadly than that. Yes, he does make mistakes from time to time, but he's a kid. Let him make those mistakes. You can't chuck him under the bus every time something like that happens. And you can't say, look, this is why you're not starting publicly like that and expect that you're going to get a great response. And it's just this man management that we've... Yeah, well, it's man management though, isn't it, Rich? You know, well, we've been going through this for months. We have, and it's, it's not just that. It's basically, he essentially sat there and was, was implying that certainly Rashford and almost certainly Marshall as well aren't really that aren't that good. It's, it's almost mm. saying I can't I can't get performances out of these out of these these guys who who we as fans know are talented because we've seen them excel. You know we we appreciate the young players and that young players can can be inconsistent, but under under LVG the the system meister the philosophy meister, you know both of those guys showed enough to tell us that they've got a lot an awful lot of natural ability yeah i mean martial essentially carried us in that second lgv season he did and and basically Mourinho's had two two years to develop them to really get the best out of those those two guys and he hasn't and it seems like his final play at the end of that period is well they, they were never any good anyway you know they're not as good as you thought they were in the first place <laughs> which doesn't doesn't sit well because we know they can do a lot better and I, I, it, it's a wider issue but i wrote a a piece this week, which I don't think has been published yet, but essentially saying that you know if you look at United squad, how many of those players have has Mourinho significantly improved or even improved moderately in his two years at the club, or and or um, players he signed has has he got performances out of them either equal to or better than they were at the clubs he signed them from? I can look at Lukaku and think, well, yeah, I think he's a better player than than he was when when Mourinho brought him in. But Lukaku got to play for two months through his poor form. And then there's Lingard. You know, unquestionably, Lingard's come on a huge amount. After that, I'm struggling. Um, I think I think he did a lot with Herrera last season, but to a degree, he's, he seemed to regress a little bit until the last few weeks. Apart from that, I'm not seeing I'm not seeing players that have really come on a long way. And that's a real problem because you can buy your four players every summer and you have your percentages game whereby, you know, even the best managers won't get them all right. So, you know... Perhaps twenty five percent just won't won't be good enough or won't work. But you're not going to win. A, you're not going to catch Guardiola or, or win a title or win a Champions League or even get close to those things if you can't develop the best players that you inherit as well as buying talent in. And it just seems like Reno's being lazy, almost being lazy. He's he's, he's basically saying these guys I, I can't do anything with them. They're not good enough. I need to buy people. I need to buy better players instead. Yeah, I mean, the thing after the match as well, I think Mourinho almost tripped himself up in his post-match interview. You know, he was sort of saying, you know, I think it's a problem with the players where I'm talking about we need to show the same commitment and effort as Brighton if we're going to win this game. And I was saying that all week and then we ended up with that. Well, that points towards a couple of issues. Either he's saying this to his players all week and they just don't care or he's not getting his point across. Both of those possibilities are alarming because... If the players aren't bothered to play under him, then Mourinho's got a massive problem. And if he can't communicate things like this to his players, he's got an even bigger problem. Whichever scenario doesn't work well. He's the motivator. That that was that was Mourinho's shtick, isn't it? Mourinho is the motivator. He uh, Inter and Porto, and in his first spell at Chelsea, it was almost like his players completely idolised him. He dragged those players through to put in performances and to win trophies. 
And then he went to Real Madrid and fell out with everybody. Came back to Chelsea and, and then ultimately fell out with everybody there as well. And and it seems like since he left Inter, his approach to players has changed. And so where where he used to inspire by getting there in complete loyalty, they'd do anything for him, they're all behind him, they absolutely you know idolised him. He doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't give off that, that kind of appeal that, that drew players to him at that time. He just seems miserable and, and cross and narky. just doesn't seem to me that he's the same guy that dragged all those players to great heights at other clubs. No, no. I mean, look, I'm conscious of basically trying not to ship Mourinho under the bus because I know it was a very fascinating conversation within United's fan base between the players are basically cropping Mourinho up to it's all Mourinho's fault. And I know where I sit and I don't think the players are completely and utterly blameless in yeah. this argument and where United sit. And, you know, it's it's really interesting analysing the United season. We're going to do this, you know, a bit more when we actually get to the end of the season. We look at all the players and our team's performance and Mourinho's performance as well. And we look at where United sit, which is most likely going to finish second unless we completely screw these next two games up. Side note, if we lose against Moyes against West Ham on Thursday, my God. But, you know, it's interesting talking about where United sit in relation to this season. You know, it's definitely progress. Going from sixth to second is great, but still some problems there you know still lacking a plan in terms of how we're playing still lacking some sort of attacking fluidity still lacking consistency and still you know looking at the team above us at the minute which is City and thinking how do we bridge that gap and the answer seems to be buy more players and sack off the ones that Mourinho doesn't like and I don't know I mean I am not convinced at the minute by Mourinho's ability to consistently motivate this United side. And after two seasons, that is a bit of a concern. And you've only got to look at the matches against West Brom and Brighton over the last couple of weeks that came after good results, if not excellent performances over 90 minutes against City and Arsenal to suggest that there's a problem with motivation in terms of focus, in terms of preparing this team for how he wants to play and how United should be playing against you know so-called lesser teams. That is an issue and it's something that he needs to resolve short term and long term because the season's not over yet. Chelsea are firing for that fourth spot now and I wouldn't be completely shocked if they get it with the way Liverpool are playing in the league at the moment. So we could be coming up against a team that is utterly determined to make sure that they get something out of this season the same way that we were when we were in Van Gaal's second season. To, you know, obviously we were going playing Crystal Palace, but at the same time, you know that we were hell bent on making sure we got through that FA Cup final. And that's a dangerous cocktail. So United really do need to butt their ideas up from manager to players, front to back. But I guess we've got two Premier League games to go through before we do that, Rich. So let's uh, let's enjoy enjoy is enjoy the right word. Let's enjoy Probably them not. first, I guess. Well, Rich, while you've been swung it up in Bosnia and Herzegovina uh, the rest of us have been watching football yeah I think I got the uh, the good end of the deal there didn't I you really did you lucky bastard mm. <laughs> well I mean I guess you missed the games against West Ham and Watford so do you mind if I talk at you about them for a couple of minutes you, you can talk at me for a couple of minutes I suspect it won't take any longer than two minutes so that's that's cool Oh, well, there were some decent bits. I mean, you know, at one point, I guess, after the Brighton game, there was a fear that we might actually lose against Davy Moyes' West Ham United. That never really looked like it was going to happen. A couple of decent half chances for them throughout the game, but good God, that was flat. This last month or so, I mean, I'd say perhaps maybe on since the City game, I mean, and perhaps even the Spurs game has had a distinctly end-of-season vibe to it. You can tell that the players are almost ready to 
down tools for the season and just take a break from this football at the moment. And obviously, you know, I'm, I'm sure that we'll see a better performance. Well, we better bloody well see a better performance in the FA Cup. But it was very indicative of where the team is at the moment. You know, it was slow. It's pretty uninspired for good chunks of it. We did cough out some half-decent opportunities in the first half. I think it was Valencia smashing a decent shot. And then Shaw actually hit the post came close to scoring that elusive first ever career goal. But nothing necessarily springs out other than that. You know, it was pretty slow, plodding, uneventful, apart from, you know, Mark Noble trying to strangle Paul Pogba and doing a horrific job of it when Pogba did a bit of a challenge in the second half. There was quite a lot of outrage at that incident. But to be honest, that was storming a teacup, to be quite frank. You know, there wasn't really much to it. And then the game at Watford, um, not much to say about that either. You know, it, it was a, a pretty workmanlike performance from United again. It was a bit disappointing not to see Tahith Chong and Angel Gomez, sorry, Angel Gomez in the squad, you know, considering that last season we sort of liked Tom Lawrence and McTominay in the side in preparation for, you know, giving a load of players a rest for the Europa League. It was a pretty strong side that Mourinho picked. Uh, I think it was a 3-5-2 in the end. Or at least a 4-3, but it wasn't necessarily particularly fluid. And frequently it was just difficult to watch. The build-up was pretty sloppy. Um, but I guess it proved with, to be quite frank, the game was more about it being Carrick's last match for United than it was about anything particularly important to do with second place. You know, we'd already sealed second place with that point at the London Stadium. So by the time we got to this game, you know, the sun was out. Watford weren't necessarily fighting for much. And it had a almost had a preseason vibe about it, and that's what several of these last few weeks have been about, really, isn't it? Essentially, just United going through the motions, preparation for the cup final, and then the end of the season. And yeah, it was lovely that Carrick was able to be involved in the goal, which was great build-up play. Lovely pass over the top for Mata. Lovely fed through for Rashford. One nil, and that was it. You know, it wasn't necessarily too much to shout about beyond that. It was nice to win the season at home with a win again. You know, we really have. I, don't, I think it's been a good sort of six, seven years since we haven't won our last game of the season at Old Trafford. So it was nice to do so there. But, you know, it's all eyes on Wembley on Saturday. And the only other really big element, the only big element really to talk about from that game was that it was a really lovely reception for Michael Carrick, you know, a lovely four minute or so chat, which he said he was going to keep quite brief to the fans after full time. But yeah, I mean, to bring you back into it, Rich, because I've realised I've just spoken at you for several minutes about two games you haven't seen, let's delve into Carrick's importance to United over this last decade plus. How do you view his importance to the side? Because he's a player that's been frequently overlooked by England and by a lot of other club fans as well, and some United fans too, for his influence and his effort. Yeah, in terms of the way his retirement's been received, it has been impacted by the fact that he's gone on longer than the rest of his contemporaries from that, you know, it's kind of exceptional 2006, 2019. And I think that the last three or four years, as his availability is, is reduced and you know, his, his legs have gone slightly, we've started to see exactly what we've, we've been missing or what, what we're going to be missing now that he's gone altogether. You know, we're seeing the value of that, that continuity player, that guy who can pick the ball up off the back four, really, you know, pass accurately and, and incisively from that position. And he's a bit—he was a bit unfortunate in that he came to United and he was playing in an absolutely exceptional team straight away. And there were so many players in that team who were absolutely world class and who really kind of hold the acclaim during that period. And his contribution—I think United fans generally, you know, appreciated 
what he was doing in the most part, but but his contribution kind of got a little bit obscured. And I think he's also unlucky in that his style never really seemed to fit with the way that England played during that period, which was always quite harem scare. We're seeing a change now, I think, under Southgate to a more possession-based, intelligent style of play, even though you know it is very much a work in progress. And, but, but you can see a, a, a serious change in the way that the England team is playing, whereas before it's always been, it's generally been pretty stereotypically English. And Carrick isn't a stereotypically English midfielder. But but the fact that, that a lot of his team, or all of his teammates from that, that exceptional team have retired before him has meant that we got to appreciate his abilities alongside. I mean, he played alongside Tom Cleverley for a while. And if, if ever there's a part, partnership that's going to make you appreciate Michael Carrick, it's playing alongside Tom Cleverley. But, but Fergie's, hmm. Fergie's last season, when we won the title, I would have said that Carrick was probably United's best player behind uh, Robin van Persie. And that was, I think hmm. that was his most exceptional season at United. And, and I think that season particularly gave us an appreciation. I mean, the, you know, so many of United's best players go through a period where they aren't playing too well. I mean, Giggs, Giggs had it sort of around about 2002, 2003. We went through a really poor period of form and the fans got on his back. And Carrick had the same in about, it was about 2010, I think. I, I can remember he played Marseille away in the Champions League. I think it was in the knockout stages. And he had a really bad game and he hadn't really been playing particularly well. And he, he was starting to have quite a lot of stick off the United fans and or some United fans. And you know, people were suggesting that perhaps he, he wasn't good enough and he needed to move away. And I think the way that he's got everybody on side, I don't think you find a United fan now who you know, doesn't fully appreciate just how good he's been for the club. I think one of the nice things about it is that Mourinho's incorporated him into the coaching side of things. And if I look at that, Champions League winning team into 2007-2008 of all the players in that team the one that struck me as being the most obvious potential coach or potential top level coach was Carrick because I just think he as well as carrying an aura about him his intelligence his game intelligence I think it was greater than any of his teammates and he he's just a very level-headed guy he's a very thoughtful guy he's very focused not you know, not overly emotional. I think I, th- I just think he'll make a really, really good coach. So it, it's kind of nice that we're seeing the end of him on the pitch. And, and incidentally, it sounds from what I've read and heard that he was probably United's best player in his last game. Yeah, he was downplaying it, but it wasn't yeah. necessarily difficult to give him the man of the match award for that match. Yeah, but I mean, you know, he's not leaving the club, and I think that that's something which kind of cushions cushions the blow a bit because I think he's got an awful lot to offer as a coach as well. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. I, I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of the fact that he wasn't a stereotypically English player. And you think about lauded midfield presences over, you know, and the, the other big clubs in the country for a similar period. So you think of Yaya Torre, you think of Frank Lampard, you think of Steven Gerrard. You know, all three of them had a bigger goal threat and more explosive elements to their game and attacked more than Carrick ever did. And I think that kind of not necessarily muddies the narrative, but I think it changes the way people view Carrick to a certain extent in the sense that he wasn't an explosive presence. He didn't score many goals. He didn't tend to get very involved in attack. But if you look at the people who actually laud his abilities more, you think about what Guardiola said about him, so many other players from the continent, and when they talk about him and what he's brought and the way that he's viewed, I think it's very clear that his style is very stereotypically un-English and in that case, I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, he's far too much of a better football and we just don't appreciate him. I think some of the subtleties can get lost in that sense. And 
again, when you're not attacking too much, it's very easy to wonder what your contribution is when you're playing week in, week out for Manchester United. And again, you know, you think about how the narratives changed around him. And I think a large part of what was happening in 2006, 2007 for a couple of years was that we were searching for a replacement for Roy Keane. And, you know, you, we brought Carrick in and you thought, well, what's he going to do? How's he going to make up for Roy Keane? And how's he going to replace him? And the, the truth is that you can't replace Roy Keane. No. It was all about compensating for his loss in the same way that we kind of did with Ronaldo. He obviously failed to a far greater extent than we did with Carrick. But Carrick came in and has done a consistently great job for United in that role for many, many years. And that's something that I think, as you said, the fan base as a whole seems now to appreciate. And it's great that he's sticking around the club to start coaching. You know, it was clear from the many messages on social media from United players since last, since yesterday afternoon's match that he's clearly very well liked and very well appreciated within the squad. And passing on that experience to the younger players should hopefully really do this team some good. Anyway, uh, there's only really one more thing to think about before the end of this week's episode, Rich, which is that cup final that we've got to play on Saturday. <laughs> now, mm. Chelsea got rather badly tonked by Newcastle on Sunday. Now, admittedly, it was going to be a bit of a tall order to get that top four spot, considering that Liverpool are running a bit of a crest of a wave, having qualified for that flipping Champions League final that I really want them to lose badly. But still, the way that Chelsea's season has gone, how do you see them approaching it? What do you, do you think United also as well are going to be able to raise their game? Because I'd say since that Spurs win in the semi-final, United have really struggled. Yeah, I mean, both sides have just kind of seemed to have packed it in for the last few weeks, don't they? I mean, that, that Huddersfield uh, draw for Chelsea was an absolute killer. But it's kind of felt like, because they know Conte's going and because reaching the top four is it's been quite a long shot for a long time. I think to a degree they, they, they've lost an edge, which I don't think makes them any less dangerous in the cup final. I think you know, you just have to look back to the year they won the title and Arsenal beat them in the cup final, you know, really turned the form book on its head. So I don't think we can just assume that because United have finished three places above them that we're necessarily going to roll them over. I think it's going to be a really tricky, difficult game. I'm kind of in two minds as to whether Mourinho's done the right thing in significantly rotating his squad for the last three games, really to give other guys a chance or or, he, or to put them in the shop window for whatever reason, just to give guys games. But there is danger of losing some momentum. What momentum, Rich? Well, no, no, <laughs> Come on. no. I know, I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. But you know, the last the last three games just just have been exhibitions, haven't they? Really, and it, it can be difficult to then suddenly chuck out your first team a month after they play together and expect them to perform. But as you say, Chelsea have got similar problems. They're a bit of a mess. If we can deal with Olivier Giroud, then we've got a very, very good chance of winning because Chelsea's attack this season has been quite one-dimensional. And if you if you deal with a centre-forward, you know, Morata, Morata not, not scoring consistently for the last four or five months has absolutely killed them. And then Giroud's, you know, done, won some games for them, but also had some less effective games and without that centre forward scoring goals they haven't got a lot elsewhere in the team Hazard's not scoring enough as we've all seen since we were linked to Willian uh, on Twitter Willian doesn't score enough none of the options that the Chelsea have stepped up with enough goals to, to back up any striker as well but they do have Fabregas they do have Hazard and they can hurt us if we're not on the ball and frankly, United seem, seem to have this incredible ability to, to either lower or raise themselves to the level of whichever team they're playing. So we could be playing 
Blackpool in the final. I'd back us to find a way to be as abject as they are. <laughs> Who knows? Who what knows? you're saying is you've got no idea, essentially. Is that about right? Well, how can we have any idea about this United team? You know, one week you're beating City and the next week we're drawing at home, uh, sorry, losing at home to West Brom. But yeah, this, yeah. This, this team makes no sense, does it? <laughs> no, I know. I mean, you hope, as you mentioned there, that Mourinho is sort of chopping and changing things over the last couple of weeks in order to... I mean, it makes complete sense, don't get me wrong, in the sense that he's brought Martial in. Rashford's played because Lukaku's not fit. I mean, I think the only thing that really stuck with me in terms of how United have played over the last couple of games since Lukaku got injured is how important Lukaku is to Mourinho's system. It just doesn't seem to work without him. You know, we scored, what, one goal in three games? It's been very, very flat up front of late. And I'm hoping Lukaku's going to be back fit and firing for that cup final because I think it could be it could be the difference between winning and losing, to be quite frank, you know, if we're not able yeah. to make too many chances. I mean, we have struggled to make chances of late. And, you know, even against a team like Chelsea, they can defend well enough to keep us out if we're not up to much in attack. So that'll be a really key element. But yeah, it's difficult to call because we've been in the situation before when we were playing two years ago in Van Gaal's last game, or what ended up being Van Gaal's last game anyway. You know, United really needed the FA Cup to put some gloss on a otherwise disappointing season. We knew we weren't going to get Champions League football, and now Chelsea know that too. So winning a cup changes how you go into the next season, doesn't it? You know, I think it... It meant a lot to United at the time to have actually won the trophy as substance for the first time in a little while. It's not quite the same for Chelsea considering they've won the league relatively recently. But by that same token, after a season like they've had, going out of Europe so limply, being so inconsistent and frequently poor in the league, they really need to get a, something positive out of this season, even if it is the last game that Conte will be managing them and potentially the likes of Hazard will end up ever playing for them. You know, I don't know if he's going to stick around for Europa League side much longer. So yeah, you know, it's also an opportunity for us to get a look at Willian, you know, if the rumours prove to be true. I don't know about that yet. And, you know, you do wonder about what's going to happen with Martial and Shaw and Darmian and Blind and a couple of other players. You know, you do get the sense that Mourinho is ready to clean house as soon as that last game of the season is finished. But that's a discussion for another time. I think the only other thing to mention, actually, on top of what we discussed, even though I've already said there's nothing else to discuss, the Premier League season is over, Rich. Thank yeah, it's a shame. It's such a shame that the last few seasons we've got to this point and all we've really been hoping is that the Premier League would just end <laughs> because it's been so utterly abject. Well, not utterly abject. That's unfair. A lot of the football has been utterly abject, even if United have got some decent results and moved up to second in the table in the process. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. There has been some great matches and some really great performances in the City game and the Liverpool game and a couple of the matches here and there will live long in the memory. And I think... By and large, it is an improvement on last season, but not enough of an improvement. <sighs> let, let me think of the right way to describe this. It wasn't necessarily the level of improvement that we were hoping for and in some quarters expecting. Still growth, but not necessarily as much as we would have wanted. And yeah, it, it's just as you mentioned there, it's a shame that we're coming to the end of another the league season, kind of being glad to sort of wave away from watching United in the league for another couple of months. You know, yeah. I'm still looking forward to seeing who we bring in, but... Part of me is almost glad that we can sort of switch off from things for a little while, which is a really weird thought, but the football has just been so poor. And I still look forward to watching United, don't get me wrong. Maybe that's just me being daft, but I still get a little bit of excitement and think, oh, great, United are playing this afternoon. Then I watch the game and I'm like, oh, well, well, that happened. Still, I mean, it, I, it, it's all over and done with, Rich. You know, we've got one more game left this season, the FA Cup final, and let's hope we can end on something of a high note. What's your score prediction? Oh, I'll go... 
I'll go two one United. Yeah. I reckon two one as well. To be fair, mate. I reckon it, whatever happens, no no team is going to blow the other away. United are useful enough in defence not to get absolutely hammered by Chelsea. And you know if Lukaku's playing and Pogba's in the mood and a couple of the players turn up, I can see United doing a number on Chelsea to a certain extent. Anyway. Fingers crossed, we'll have to see that one pans out. But that is the end of this week's episode, Rich, so we'll pick this up in about a week's time. (laughs) Thanks for your presence. Oh, guys, thank you very much for listening, as always. Don't forget, you can get us all over Twitter. You can get the boy Rich at at RichieCan76. You can get me at at you and Lennox, and you can get the pod at at RedVoicesMUSC. Here's to a good afternoon at Wembley on Saturday afternoon, I guess. We'll speak to you next week. Cheerio. 